Welcome back to the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast. I'm the media director at Fieldcraft Survival, John Park, also known as Kimchi Seal. I'm here because I want to introduce some of our sponsors to you guys for this episode. And first up is Sig Sour. Now I've personally used SIGs in my service, in and out of the water, in adverse environments, in training. Granted, it was the 226, and I did not like the 226, but it worked just fine. Now I just carry the P365XL macro, and for my range gun, I use the P320X carry. I think I shot about 5,000 rounds on my personal P320. As for my 365XL macro, I haven't shot it a lot, but I love the form factor. And you can carry 18 rounds, 17 plus one. At that size, that is revolutionary. And Sig Sauer is just a great company because they're not just a manufacturing company. They do training, they're changing the culture with all their events. And the fact that Americans are making the guns out in New Hampshire, you can't get any more American than that. So check out Six Hour, sixhour.com or at a gun store near you. And that's it for the sponsors. We're going to get back to the podcast. We have Kevin, Estella, SME, and all things survival. And he's doing another coffee and questions. Let's get back to the podcast. What's going on, guys? Kevin Estella here with Fieldcraft Training. Hanging out, drinking coffee, doing a podcast. I got a survival course I'm teaching tomorrow. Today's been one of those days where I've done a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Stayed up late last night. I listened to Kevin Owens on the Jack Carr podcast. That dude can talk like four freaking hours. And the funny thing is when you listen to that one, like Jack Carr knows how to have a great conversation. Kevin Owens, that dude can move his lips. Holy crap, can he talk? So uh, I stayed up pretty late last night, almost midnight. And I was up at 530 today, which is like an hour later than I usually wake up. So coffee is flowing. And in addition to the Black Rifle coffee that I normally drink, I will tell you that uh, Lynette's Bakery, which is right next door to us here at uh, Fieldcraft East, they've got these things called Cafecito, which is like a little Cuban coffee mixed with sugar. My God, that's straight up energy. Uh, it's only two ounces, but that's all you need to, to get that boost of caffeine. So thank you, Black Rifle Coffee. Thank you, Lynette's. Thank you to myself for brewing up that coffee that I had this morning. All right, guys, if you're, if you've never listened to this coffee and questions series, what I do is I answer your questions. I usually put them out on Instagram and I say, okay, um, what kind of questions do you guys have for me? And what I do is I go and I screenshot all of your questions and then I put them into a file and then I answer them on the air. So I've got them all over the place today. I've got them here in a, in a doc. There's also a new group that Glover just started, or maybe, you know, the Drinking Bros started, but it's Drinking Bros Fieldcraft Survival. And there are a handful of questions that came up uh, on that as well. So maybe I'll start there going through right now. Here we go. And let's answer some freaking questions. All right. And I'm not going to do numbers because I'm going to lose track of numbers and I didn't put them into a Word doc this time. So here we go. All right, first question from Don Bonnet. What are your top three or five must-know knots? Overhand knot and all the variations. So overhand, double overhand, fisherman's, square knot, surgeon's knot. All of those are, are overhand knots. I would say you definitely need to have an overhand knot. You also need to know at least one friction knot. And you could probably say like the girth hitch and then the prusik or prusik. Those are great knots. I would say those are definitely two that you definitely need to know. Rolling hitch and two half hitches. That's great for tying things down on your roof. 
um, the roof of your car. And then from there, I mean, shoelace knot, trucker's hitch. I mean, I use a lot of different knots. We just taught a course here, uh, cordage and knot intensive, and we did 30 or 40 plus knots. I mean, I'm not even including lashings in there because there's square lashing. Uh, there is tripod lashing. You got to know how to tie a fish hook on. So the trilene knot, I mean, learn a bunch of knots. That's my advice. Learn as many as you can. Uh, Brian Halstead, what is your go-to water filtration system? Okay. This one comes at a perfect time. I just went out to Kannapolis, North Carolina with Brian Edwards and we met up with Doug Meyer. Doug Meyer is like the premier primitive skills authority. He's someone who I consider a friend. Uh, he's the author of a blowgun book. Like he did the archaeological study on all blowguns and knows primitive technology better than pretty much anyone I know. Uh, he's also a guy who has been flown to different museums around the world to create exhibits for those museums. What's my go-to water filtration system? <laughs> Boiling. And what I want you to use instead of saying the word filter or purify, just say treat. Get in the habit of saying treating water because when you use certain chemicals in water, it's not going to kill organisms. Those chemicals are going to uh, neutralize those organisms from reproducing in your gut at an exponential rate to the point where you're going to explode from both ends. You're going to puke and shit yourself at the same time. Has that ever happened to me? Oh yeah, it's it makes you feel like a total savage when you got a trash can at your at home. You're sitting on the on the can, and not that can toilet, and you are exploding from both ends. And and it's basically like you are you know taking a leak out your out your anus. I'll tell you, use the word treat. So what is my go to water treatment system? Boiling. Bring my water to a boil at least for a minute. Roaring boil. And then uh, the other thing is I like using the aqua tabs and there are a couple other pretty decent filter systems that are out there, treatment systems. You know, I know some folks talk about the grail. I've been talking to the guys from grail for a while, but they've been ghosting me lately and they were supposed to send me a sample to test out. And I'm like, okay, but here's my thing. If you guys tend to ghost me, I tend to not care about you as much. Um, but that's a pretty decent system from what I hear. I can't tell you firsthand. The other thing, let's see, keep in mind with all these water treatments that are out there, you can still have trace levels of bacteria and, and whatnot in the water that can still hurt you. Something that Doug brought up, and I'll give credit to Doug on this one. Doug is big on attribution, as am I. Doug said, if you travel away from your home for a long period of time, and then you go home, you turn on your faucet, you drink water, and then you say, oh my gosh, I must have eating something terrible when I was away, Doug said, it's likely the water that's still remaining in your pipes where the water treatment that they use is no longer effective or it's died off. Um, and as a result, the water you're drinking from your home is getting you sick, not the food that you ate while you were on vacation. So interesting, interesting idea. Uh, Doug Meyer, hopefully he's going to be coming out here to, to podcast with us and teach some courses with us very soon. All right, let's keep moving here. Okay. John Nunamaker, I have a question. I'm a deputy sheriff uh, with some fairly rural area to cover. I have a good med bag that I put together, Sam Splints, tons of gauze, wound wash, irrigation water to wet pack wounds, et cetera, short of J-tubes, which I'm not comfortable employing. What am I missing? I've done live tissue before, so I packed what I know I can effectively employ. Yes, I have MRE's water e-tool, most importantly, toilet paper. Thanks. 
John, what I'll recommend is think about possibility and probability. You hear us talk about this all the time. And I'm not the medic here at Fieldcraft, right? We have Doc and we have Jerry and we have Doc Jones, um, you know, Doc Mac. We got all these guys that are proper medically trained. So I'm not the guy that's going to give you the best advice. I would tell you first, reach out to them. But it sounds like you're already squared away. Sam splints you can use. Oh my gosh, there are so many uses for Sam splints. Gauze, what kind of gauze is what I'll ask you. Uh, wound wash, irrigation is something that I'd recommend for those wounds that you might get like grit and gravel and all sorts of other things in. Let's see. I mean, tourniquets. The average person, as far as I know, has four extremities to their body. So you could potentially have uh, a, a need for a tourniquet on your arm and your leg. You can never have enough tourniquets. I would say get more of those. Flashlight, make sure you have a flashlight. Make sure you have Sharpie markers. And definitely don't forget to have an emergency blanket. And if you have the room, get an actual blanket or a sleeping bag where you can put it around the person to keep them from losing body temperature because that's very common with, with massive bleeding. Okay, next question. Uh, let's see. Shit hit the fan tips for when you are on the road away from everyday carry and go bag. Think flying to uh, hell a, oh, LA on business trip. Can't drive anywhere unless you have unlimited time. Never seen good tips on this for road warriors who travel every week. So this one goes out to Vitez Boyev. Vitez, I'm going to ask you, why can't you carry everyday carry there? What are you carrying aside from firearms and blades that you can carry in LA? Uh, Los Angeles, if I remember correctly, and please don't quote me on this one. I don't like, I don't like giving advice if I can't say for certainty, like it's good advice. Like there are people out there that give some pretty terrible advice. And it's like, you said that <laughs> you said that. So you gotta, you gotta stand by it. But Los Angeles, you're not really allowed to carry fixed blades out there. But when I was out there, I remember there were rules saying that you could carry pretty much any length folding knife you want. Double check. It's on kniferights.org. That's Doug Raider's organization. And he'll be able to tell you what type of blades you can carry out there. Um, but most of your everyday carry should remain the same. Flashlight, uh, tourniquet, pen, blades, things like that. I don't, I don't see why it would, it would change. And then when you're on that business trip, what can you source locally? Go to a hardware store, go to Walmart, go to the local um, supermarket. You should be able to source pretty much everything you need, relatively inexpensively too. All right, next question. Lincoln Mercury. Any suggestions for credible books, websites for bush medicine slash edible plants? 100% Lincoln. First thing I'm going to recommend for everyone listening, get the app that's called uh, iNaturalist. And what that is, iNaturalist is an app for your phone. And, you know, right now what I'm doing is I got to I gotta do some Instagram stuff. So I'm, I'm turning my phone on as I answer this question. All right. So get the app that's called iNaturalist for your, your phone. And what iNaturalist will do is iNaturalist will, with your camera, you are going to take a picture of whatever you want to identify. And iNaturalist will... It'll recognize your plant and then tell you what classification it's in, what the Latin name is, what the colloquial name is. Now, aside from using your phone, which it's okay, it's a, it's a good source, make sure that whatever resource you're using to identify edible slash medicinal plants, you're backing up that research with multiple reference books. And I would recommend the Peterson's Edible Plants books. 
Uh, Botany in a Day is another great book. There are so many good books that are out there. Um, the Herb Book by Lust is another one. If you get books on edible plants, what you should do is find one that has a good phot uh, photograph of the plant, find one that has a good line drawing of the plant, and find one that is maybe like an artist's uh, painting of a plant. The reason why you want to have multiple illustrations or depictions of that plant is because when that photograph is taken, it's taken a moment in that plant's life, right? It could be in its immature phase. It could be in its uh, second year if it's a biannual. It could be taken in a lot of different formats. But by having a line drawing, you have an artist's rendition of an almost perfect specimen of a plant where it's going to have maybe uh, tendrils, right? If we're talking about grapes, or maybe the detail will be better on the grape leaf as opposed to a photo where you don't see the detail. So get those three sources, something that has an illustration, something that has a painting, something that has a photo, get the Seek app, and I think that's going to put you in a pretty good spot. All right. Um, oh, and by the way, come train with Kate Smith here in North Carolina. We have a edible plants course. Kate takes you on a plant walk, and she's pretty awesome. She can also probably deadlift you and your crew. Okay, that's it for the Drinking Bros website on Facebook or Drinking Bros page on Facebook. So guys, uh, I'm going to get out of that one and go to the questions that you asked me. Here we go. Okay. Uh, this one is from Dean Ayala, uh, Madgar Pops on Instagram. Good morning, Kevin. What knife would you recommend as having on you in the field, bushcraft, etc.? I guess as a first, I always have my Northman on me, but I'd like to have proper tools on me as I learn new skills. Oh, he said mu skills. All right. First off, you got the Northman. That's a great blade. Amtac blades. Um, you know, we have the Fieldcraft blade through Montana Knife Company. Before I started carrying that, I was carrying the Amtac Northman, Amtac Minuteman. The way I responded to Dean is I said, get a Mora. A good Mora knife is a proven woodcraft knife, a knife for cutting. And if you learn to use that knife really well, it's going to handle a lot of your basic needs in the field. So get the Mora Companion get the Companion HD, that's heavy duty. And if you do a side-by-side -side of the Mora Companion and the Mora Companion HD, HD has a thicker blade. If you're trying to scrape a ferro rod with the Companion HD or the, or the standard Companion, you're not going to be able to because that knife has a rounded spine and you need something that's got a, a almost 90 degree spine, okay? Now, if you don't want to go with Mora, get yourself a Fall Neven F1. That is one of the industry standard knives for bushcraft. That knife used to be the official Air Force knife for the Swedish Air Force. And the folks over at Fall Neven are awesome. They just sent me a, a Fall Neven modern Bowie. thing has a 10-inch freaking blade. And I'm going to be using that at Greg Anderson's place in Washington, uh, doing some Bowie knife skills very, very soon. Um, and if you guys don't want to spend on that, you can look at SE. That's E-S-E-E. -E -E, get a three or a four. Those are fantastic knives as well. The SE knives, the cool thing about the folks from SE and their company, they have a 100% policy of like, if you're not satisfied, send the knife back in. If you break the knife, even if it's your dumbass fault, you get a free knife. So they've got a wall that they travel with to all the trade shows where it's like knives that have been super sharpened uh, over and over and over. And they have knives that have been like you know, fallen out of a truck or a helicopter, or they've broken, whatever, and you get a brand new knife. So those are my suggestions, Dean. I hopefully uh, gave you a few good options. All right, let's keep moving here. All right, already did Lincoln Mercury's. Okay, here we go. 
MarkSat0811. Have a good jerky recipe that doesn't taste like you're drinking a bottle of soy sauce. All right. Um, okay, if you don't want to do the jerky thing, why don't you try biltong? Uh, biltong is South African, and instead of drying out uh, meat with temperature, it dries it out with air. It's a little bit juicier than standard jerky, and it uses vinegar and coriander. I love freaking biltong. I could eat biltong until I need to super hydrate. If I, and if I don't, it's going to be real painful when I see that biltong again, if you know what I mean. Um, I'd say try out biltong. And then there's nothing wrong with using uh, salt and pepper on your jerky, right? Like a lot of guys are going to marinate in, in soy sauce because it has a high salt content. But if you don't want to turn into a soy boy, there are other things you can marinate your, your jerky in. So I would say try out biltong. And many times, if you try a biltong, you'll never want to go back to regular jerky. Guys, I hate to interrupt the podcast, but you want to listen to this one because we have a couple coupon codes. First up is Ketone IQ. Ketone IQ is brought to you by HVMN. HVMN is a great company and they developed Ketone IQ alongside the U.S. military and top universities around the country. Ketone IQ delivers all the benefits in one simple drink with no caffeine, no sugar. It's just clean and on demand. Fueling with ketones takes you to a place where everything just flows. A gentle, clean boost of energy without the jitters or a racing heart. I'm not telling you to replace your coffee because I love coffee too. But if you're not a coffee drinker or you drink too much coffee and you still need that pick me up, I think Ketone IQ is going to be perfect for you. So head on over to hvmn.com, use code FUELCRAFT at checkout for a whopping 20% off your order. Again, that's hvmn.com, use code FUELCRAFT at checkout. Lastly, I want to mention 10,000. Now what is 10,000? 10,000 works with endurance athletes to test and co-design their gear and active wear. They make shorts, pants, shirts, mid-layers, outer layers, base layers, socks, you name it. It's great for hiking, running, comfortable training shorts, and just wear it at home. I'm wearing it right now. It's so comfortable. So head on over to 10,000.cc. You got to spell it out. It's not the number. 10,000.cc. Use code FUELCRAFT at checkout for 15% off. River Matt, or I'm sorry, River Rat MJ wins the next Ziploc challenge. <laughs> well, Ricky is no longer working with us. She's doing her own thing. We wish her well. Love the Rickster. I would love to challenge someone in the company to do that. You know, I feel like many times at Fieldcraft, I'm like the unappreciated uncle, you know, like I feel like sometimes the stuff that I do with like the bushcraft and survival community, people are like, oh, he, he just does that. It, it doesn't look that hard. It's like, <laughs> yeah, we'll see about that. So I would love to put out this next Ziploc challenge to, uh, let's see, who could I challenge at the company? Hmm. I mean, I would love to see my buddy Jerry do it. Jerry, who works for us here, is an absolute stud. He is a former SWAT sniper. Jerry uh, was one of my students at the Wilderness Learning Center back in 2007. And he took the basic, the advanced, and the winter survival skills course with me out there. Jerry knows his stuff. Jerry would crush it. But it's boring if you see someone like Jerry do it because uh, the guy just knows his stuff. I would love to see fabulous Jen Caro do it. Jen, love you to death. You're my little sister. I want to see Jen do it. Maybe Jen will pack some Topo Chico's or something like that in her Ziploc and just have a great time. But I don't know when the next Ziploc challenge is. 
I would love to change the medium that we're using. Instead of a Ziploc bag, I'd love to say like, okay, we're doing a winter survival thing and you can bring like a one quart pot, fill that one quart pot with whatever you want. And that does not include a sleeping bag. If you could fit a sleeping bag into a one quart pot. So I don't know. I feel like we're moving towards a lot of glamping. I want to take it the other way, but that's really not my pay grade and I can't make that decision. All right. Yim Yu Han Peter is always commenting. Where and when did you take this picture showing you were hiking? Dude, I don't even remember what photo I used for this. It probably was in Utah. It probably was uh, the hike I did to Timpanogos, which is on the Fieldcraft blog. Or it could have been uh, the hike that I did to, you know, the hot springs that are out there. That's my guess, man. I don't remember which photo I even used for that question. So can't answer that one. Okay. Will out West 90. What are some good security considerations when camping? All right, Will. Uh, some good security considerations. Number one, personal security. And what that means is when you get to a campsite, you don't want to just drop your stuff, sit down and say, all right, I'm going to throw out my tent and go to sleep. When you get to your camp, if it's an unknown campsite, you definitely want to scout around. So you drop most of your, your stuff, carry your basics on you, your canteen, your, your stay alive kit, uh, knife, pistol, whatever you have on you, and you walk around, right? You do a perimeter walk. Make sure that you're not setting up your camp near anything that could be attractive to two-legged or four-legged critters. The Whenever you set up your shelter, there are the W's you want to remember. Wind, so you need to protect yourself from the wind. The wiggles, make sure that you're not setting up somewhere where there's scorpions, uh, ants, beehive overhead, okay, things like that. You want to set up where uh, there's wood for your fire, but the other W that relates to wood is widowmakers. You want to look overhead. You want to look around you. Make sure that a tree is not going to fall you, fall on you. And then the last one is water. You want to make sure that you're not setting up in an area where water is going to come and wash you away. If you saw recently the stuff that we've been putting on uh, the Facebook page, knockout lights, Mike Levy, what an amazing shooter. That dude's awesome. I've been following him for a long time, even before I, I joined Fieldcraft. That dude, unfortunately, his range in California, he had issues with flooding. And I know the folks from American Contingency went out there and helped out. And I just, my heart goes out to that guy. Really a great dude in the community. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, he suffered the consequences of, of being in an area where, you know, things like that happen. And, and I, I just wish him well. Um, but guys, those are the security concern, concerns I have when I go camping. Uh, scout around, make sure that you're not in an area where you are somewhere where like two or four-legged critters would find attractive. Wind, water, widow makers, wiggles, and wood. The last thing I'll say, make sure you have an exit strategy, right? Many times people will be drawn to an area. It's called the line of drift. You'll have a convenient entranceway have a convenient exit way as well. Make sure it's not the same. And if it has to be, make it an inconvenient exit, but something that you know where it is, but other people don't necessarily know as well. Dylan Wilkett. What's a great durable pant to be used for hunting, hiking, camping, etc.? Well, Dylan, I'm recording this at the end of January and I would say I love wool. Wool is very durable. It's also very heavy and it gets super heavy when it's wet. But if you're looking for a great pant for hunting, especially here on the East Coast, wool is silent. It's super quiet. It's not like you're you're in nylon and it's brushing up against everything and it sounds 
unnatural, I would go with wool. Now, if you don't need the warmth of wool, then I would say a 50-50 blend is great. 50-50 nylon ripstop. Prometheus Design Works, that company has been sponsoring me since 2016. I'm wearing a Prometheus Design Works fleece right now. I wear their pants. I, I wear their shorts. I have like one pair of pants from them, like one style, but I have it in like three different colors and three different weights each. They just keep sending me pants. Um, so I'd say PDW, but 511 makes great pants. Beyond Clothing makes great pants. 10,000, one of our sponsors at one point, they make really good pants. All those are really good options. Okay. A rock feels no pain. Next question. Briefly, I find myself losing interest in the outdoor recreational travel skills and gear scene. What's next? That comes down to willingness, man. I get it. If you do something over and over, it's going to feel like a job and it maybe is a job and maybe you're going to lose interest in it. You know, there are certain things that I feel like I could never lose interest in. Like I could never lose interest in shooting, but you talk to folks who are that work at companies that are in charge of like test firing pistols and rifles. And they're like, it's so freaking boring. Like all you do is just hear the, the report of the rifle or the pistol or whatever. And it just, it just gets you boring. I'd say what is really a good solution to that is bring out someone who's never done it before and get them excited in what you're losing interest in. If you care about that person that you're bringing out, if they're a good friend, high school buddy, uh, your girlfriend, right? Your kid, and you can see that excitement, that enthusiasm in their eyes, it's no longer about you. It's about making that person happy. And guess what? Your job now, what's bringing you excitement is making someone else excited doing what used to get you excited. So I would say teach someone, teach someone. And that's the way to, to get that spark again. And you can always go back and handicap yourself to make things more difficult. I understand it's, it's fun to shoot one inch pasties at hundred yards with a rifle. Why not challenge yourself and try to shoot half inch pasties? Why not push that one inch pasty out to 200 yards? You can always make things more difficult. You can always find training modifiers. There's, if you, if you're training with someone who says, well, that's it, that's a terrible instructor. You should never, ever, ever say to yourself, I've plateaued. The goal is to never plateau. The goal is to always find something new, find a challenge for yourself. And if you find like you're going back to comfort, it's because you don't like to be challenged. You don't like to fail. You either succeed or you learn. All right. I'm getting off my soapbox on that one. Catherine Dixon, 35. Biggest differences, considerations between summer camping and winter camping. Okay, Catherine. Um, I love this question. This is a great one. Winter camping makes you appreciate summer camping. Winter camping, you have way less daylight to work with. The sun is coming up later in the day. The sun is going down earlier in the day. You need about three times as many calories if you're highly active. So if you're eating a 2,000 calorie diet, you're eating between 5,000 and 6,000 calories in the wintertime. Now, other things with winter camping and summer camping, insects. So if you remember back to the wind, the wiggles, the water, the widowmakers, well, insects don't really exist in the wintertime. Uh, there are things called snow mites, M-I-T-E-S. And if you've never seen snow mites, look them up. They do exist. But I'll tell you that winter camping is a lot of fun. Winter camping brings you into the campfire with your friends. You got to be careful, though. If you're wearing nylon, your nylon can definitely melt around the campfire. So wear that wool. Um, but those are some of the big differences right there. You have less daylight. You have insects that you have to not worry about. Um, 
obviously the cold. All right, moving on. Max Cutex. <laughs> what is your favorite type of wild animal to hunt and consume? All right, Max. Um, I grew up bird hunting. That was my first exposure to hunting, pheasant hunting. And over the years, I've gone boar hunting and whitetail hunting. And I was hunting in South Africa. And that was for blessed buck and wildebeest and warthog and uh, impala. I think the impala might win this question because it's such a beautiful animal. And I mean, their their horns are, are incredible. I think that is maybe an answer that comes from the sum total of the experience. You're in Africa. You're seeing animals that you've only seen on the Discovery Channel. 